You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. The leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions, and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Nathan Beckord. Nathan is the CEO of Founder Suite, a platform for startups raising capital, and the newly launched Funding Stack a platform for raising capital for VCs or venture capitalists themselves. So both sides of the spectrum. Nathan is originally from Boulder, Colorado, currently based in San Francisco, but he's also lived in Japan, Berlin, and Saudi Arabia. So Nathan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Now, before we get into the nitty gritty of all of this fundraising platforms, what's your fun fact? My fun fact is I'm a competitive pickleball player and I got into pickleball before It became this crazy national trend. My dad, who was at a senior center, got me into it a couple of years ago. And now I do some tournaments and things like that. So it's it's a lot of fun. That's great. And I hear that pickleball is spreading all over the place. I have not had a chance to play it myself, but it's as much fun as they make it out to be. It really is. It's completely addictive. And I almost warn people, if you're thinking about it, be careful if you're willing to give up all your weekends and evenings and then your lunch breaks, you're going to be watching pickleball videos, how to get better. So it's completely addictive. So just be warned what you're getting into. (laughs) Okay. See all the advice you're getting on this show, ladies and gentlemen, you had no idea you now have a pickleball forewarning. Play under your own risk. Exactly. All right, Nathan, well, tell us your elevator pitch. Tell us about Funding Stack and Founder Suite. Sure. So the short little story goes like this. I used to work in investment banking. I was working in JP Morgan in New York, helping later stage companies raise capital. Then came out to Silicon Valley and spent a decade helping early stage startups raise capital and then had this light bulb moment one day, like we could build software for this. Why are we doing this all on spreadsheets and sticky notes and stuff like that? So that's where Founder Suite was born from. And now it's a database of investors, CRM to manage a pipeline, a pitch deck hosting tool, investor updates, a data room, email tools. So basically it's an entire end-to-end suite of tools for startups raising capital. And we've had 34,000 startups around the world use it, over $10 billion raised. I think back to the old McDonald's logo, over $10 yes. billion served. Yeah, I don't know if they still do that anymore. But anyway, we're $10 <laughs> billion raised. And then more recently, we had this idea. We had some venture capitalists and investment bankers and funding advisors using Founder Suite. And they're like, hey, this is great, but how do I work with more than one company on the platform? We didn't have a way to do that. So we actually launched fundingstack.com as a separate sister platform that is used by VCs and investment bankers to help multiple companies, portfolio companies, clients raise capital. So that's a very new, just a few months old platform. Pretty exciting for me. Are they sister companies of sorts, sister platforms, or are they completely independent? Well, so they're separate websites, separate systems. They share a lot of the same functionality, you know, investor database, CRM, things like that. The branding colors are a little different. Some of the functionality is different. And they're all under the same parent company, but they are separate platforms. Got it. Now, part of the reason that I brought 
you hear today for everybody out there listening is because with so much background in raising capital, I feel like this is a topic that many people may not think is directly applicable to your jobs, but really fundraising, whether it's for-profit or non-profit organizations, and even just being able to make the ask, it's about a pitch and sales pitch or idea pitch or suggesting something to whether it's someone who is your boss, to a peer, to a prospective collaborator, to someone who reports to you perhaps, but getting buy-in, getting to that yes, pitching an idea is something that we all have to do, no matter what our role, no matter what our function, no matter what our industry. So I brought Nathan here today to share with us some of the insights that he has derived over decades of doing the fundraising, making the ask. We all get stuck in how to make that ask. So I wanted to dig in to those kinds of topics in particular. So when you think about the world of fundraising, the world of startups, entrepreneurship, et cetera, what are some of the most common misconceptions that people tend to have? What's something you wish more people understood? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I've been around the startup world for decades dating myself, but it's interesting in the past, maybe 10 years, startups have been kind of glamorized, fetishized, you know, it's a sexy career choice for millennials and Gen Z and and others, right? The myth though, is that it's easy and glamorous. (laughs) The reality is it's brutally hard, right? Getting the startup off the ground and raising capital for that startup. Both of those tasks are very difficult, very taxing on a personal level you're just going to get rejected a lot, right? The, the kind of the default norm in both getting your startup launched and raising capital is getting rejected and getting told no. <laughs> but still, you got to push through that and pursue your dreams. And that's how we create startups. So that's one myth. I can go into more detail on that, but I would say that's one of the biggest ones. What are some of the statistics out there as far as startups and those that make it through the first year even? And you're talking any startup or particularly tech startups? There are different ways to define a startup, right? I mean, someone who's starting the corner dry cleaner, that could be called a startup. A lot of times people kind of group those into small businesses, but it's still a startup, right? I mean, you're still launching something that didn't exist before. When I talk about tech startups, those are usually a little different. They still share some common DNA with the, the corner dry cleaner, but usually they're something that's trying to scale into a much larger entity and become a big home run. You know, the statistics, I've heard multiple different statistics, things like 80 to 90, I've heard even up to 95% of startups fail in the first three years, something like that, right? So, I mean, you know, maybe let's call it a one in 10 chance of making it three years out. And I think taking that same metaphor on the fundraising side, something I tell startups all the time is that a 5% conversion rate between who you pitch and who writes you a check, actually, you're doing pretty well. But Mm. if you do the math, that means you're getting rejected 95% of the time, people you're pitching, right? So yeah, so it's not for the faint of heart. Yeah. Are you ready to get rejected 95% of the time? Yes, for the cast iron stomachs out there. That's a lot of rejection to walk into. So going with eyes wide open. Am I understanding that? Totally. And I guess the optimist view is every no is one step closer to that yes, that 5% that's a yes. Yeah, 5%, everybody. 5% of a yes 
is a, a really good batting average at that point. So then what are some of the most common mistakes that the founders make in companies? And again, for everybody out there who's like, well, I'm not a startup, I'm not a founder, I'm asking you to look at where these challenges are relevant for the people that you are trying to pitch your ideas to as well out there. So most common mistakes that founders make in perhaps misjudging the audience when they're pitching for investment. Yeah, I mean, a very common mistake, which sounds obvious, but somehow isn't, is going after the wrong people. One of the big things I pound the table on constantly with founders is spend the time to build a really highly targeted, well-qualified list of investor targets, right? The more time you spend kind of building the right list of people that are likely to invest in your type of business, your geographic location, your stage, the better. But people don't want to spend that time. I don't know if it's laziness or just a lack of awareness of how important this is. People don't spend that time. They say, oh, Laura calls herself an investor. I should go pitch her. Oh, well, actually, Laura invests in health and wellness series B startups, right? And I'm a fintech startup. Okay. Not relevant. You're not going to be receptive to my pitch because that's not what you do. So that's one of the biggest mistakes is not targeting the right investors. And that, again, usually falls by the way of not putting in the time to do the research and building a really highly qualified list. And I think this applies to fundraising for nonprofits, for for all kinds of things, is really identifying your right audience for what you're selling, for what you're pitching, and treating it like a sales process, right? Every good salesperson puts in the time to identify the right targets yes. and qualifies them. So let's qualify that term there because that just put up some people's hackles. Uh, wait a minute. I don't want to be a salesperson. I don't want to be in a sales job. I don't like that. But pitching an idea, trying to get buy-in, knowing your audience, we all have to do this at some point if we want to have influence, if we want people to say yes to us, knowing your audience, doing your due diligence, doing your research ahead of time to identify whose support do I need in this? Who should I talk to perhaps first? to get some preliminary support, to do a little, you know, diplomatic, I hate to use the word politicking, but it's just understanding how things work in this company and what may prevent you from hearing the yeses, understand what other people are up against. So doing that due diligence to identify who's the right person to ask first, and then how to ask that particular person. All these pieces are blocks that at I think you you hit the two ends of the spectrum. Is it a question of, well, just lack of awareness, a little naivete or denial, frankly, or laziness, as you put it, that do people just not want to do that research to put in that legwork? And look, that's a natural reaction for most of us. It's, oh, do I have to go through all those hoops? Well, no, you don't, unless you want to hear yes. Do your research and that's your choice. But then I would say the amount of Research and effort that you put into that behind the scenes stuff will probably influence that 5% higher or lower and where those numbers go. So am I distilling this right, Nathan? Absolutely. 100%. The more time you put into this upfront, identifying the right people, stakeholders, decision makers, you know, you can increase that 5% to a 10% hit rate if you put in the time. And I'll give you one little example on our platform. We have this database of investors, 200,000 investors in our database. And people are often saying, they'll contact us and like, how do I add all the investors in healthcare 
to my CRM. Like, I just want to add them all at once. And we say, no, sorry, we don't let you do that. The best way is to go through the list and really identify, put in 10 minutes, 15 minutes on each investor and really qualify them. Make sure they actually do your type of healthcare, your stage of business, right? We don't let people like mass add, which would be the, I don't want to say the lazy person's approach, but you know, the, the natural inclination is, oh, I just want to ping all these people. Yeah, carpet bomb everybody with questions. Nope, you've got to go through and more sniper hunt the right folks. (laughs) Okay, we're going to take it out of the military because we're not looking to destroy anybody. So I retract my original metaphor, but nevertheless, a kind of scattershot approach to hopefully I'll hit something that will be a a good connection. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then when funders or investors, be they venture capitalists or, I mean, in your space, you're doing more with venture capital work, but there are other types of investors, of course, in many things. There's angel investors, there's private equity, there's friends and family rounds at that point. You know, who are you asking to borrow a little bit of money just for an initial inventory check or to build a website or something along those lines? But what is something that investors look for in the founder, in the person who's asking for that investment, for the loan, for the whatever it is, what's an important item that they need to see or hear from that founder? There are quite a few things, of course, and some of it's a bit intangible, some of it's tangible. I kind of approach this by putting yourself in the shoes of an investor, right? Let's say you're a venture capitalist or even an angel investor. And if you've been doing it a while, you probably have a brand out there. You probably have your name out there as an investor. That means you're going to be getting tons of companies approaching you, tons of startups, entrepreneurs approaching you, usually more than you can even process, even more than you can look at, right? More pitches are coming at you than you can even like look at in a day. So picking up on the thread we just talked about, the targeting, first of all, you're going to be like, oh, I invest in fintech seed stage stuff. So first, that's going to be your first filter. Okay, these things are coming at me. And this lady's approaching me with a healthcare startup, not relevant, not even going to respond to her. So the first filter is like, did they do their homework? Did relevance. Do their homework? Yes. Relevance. Yeah. Is it relevant? <laughs> did they put in the time? They have a sixth sense or a natural detector <laughs> if you put in the time and made sure it's relevant or not. So that's one. Then I'd say there is a bit of a, a thing of how you, let's say I'm the investor in this case. How did you reach me? How did you approach me? Is it a cold email? Did you spend a little time to find a mutual connection? Did you maybe contact one of my other portfolio companies or one of my other founders that I put money into? Maybe you got to know them and you're working your connection path in there. So I'd say another filter is how you get to me. Cold emails can work, but it's obviously going to be a lot less effective than if you spend a little time getting to know someone that I know. And now there's this trusted referral source. So once we get into the actual, how did you get to me and are you relevant? Then it becomes a little fuzzier. Then I'm looking for things like, okay, does this person have the it factor? Does it have the charisma that I believe? You know, again, startups, like we just talked about a few minutes ago, most startups are going to fail. Do I get a vibe from this person that they're going to make this thing happen? They're going to make this success through sheer will, through hustle through chutzpah, whatever, you know, criteria it is. I just get a vibe that they're like, you're going to hustle their way into making this thing success. That's an important thing to think. I don't think most people may not have thought about it on the other side that we just identified, okay, 
one in 20 people that you ask are going to likely statistically to invest. But that means if you're the investor, that means only one in 20 or maybe I'm misinterpreting the numbers or I'm misascribing, but it sounds like kind of at best one in 20 will be even likely to survive that first year. And so you're looking to say, what are the odds that you're not one of the 19 people I'm going to hear from today who will be out of business in a year? So that's not worth my money. I'm not going to see the return on that investment. So what do people look for to recognize this person is likely to still be standing 12 months from now? It's a great question. And it is a bit of a hard thing because there are a lot of intangibles there, but like they're looking at your background. What have you done in the past? And for better or for worse, there's something called pattern recognition or pattern matching in VC, which, you know, some would also claim leads to a lack of diversity, but let's mm, put sure. that aside for a minute. You know, they're looking at, okay, did this founder get into a good school? Are they coming from Stanford's, you know, Stanford's IT or engineering program? Okay. okay. That, that gives me a good clue that they're pretty smart and can do things, but that's not everyone. They're also looking at what you've done with the business, right? Have you been able to get the thing off the ground on no resources, on a shoestring, for example, and been able to make things happen? Have you been out there recruiting engineers and pounding the pavement, talking to potential customers, right? What have you done? How have you gotten this business on basically no money? Let's say you're not funded at all. What have you been able to accomplish on no money, right? Show me that. And if I'm impressed with that, like that's a good signal that this person can hustle, right? Yep. I think also, you know, part of it's in the communication side too, right? So if if we just met for our first meeting a month ago, and then I'm getting, you know, semi-regular emails or updates from you that are like, hey, Nathan, we just closed two new pilot programs with Exxon and Chevron and BP or something. Like if you're making things happen and communicating those things to me in a pretty thoughtful way, that's a good sign too, right? Because now I can see that not only can you execute, but you're a good communicator. Those are qualities of a CEO that are going to last, that should help make a success. So kind of looking for traction, looking for evidence that you can make things happen. And I'll kind of contrast this to what I don't want to see. Sometimes you get people and we see these even our platform where it's like, well, if I had a million dollars, if I had some fun, Mm. then it's the if then death trap. If I had money, then I could go sell some customers. If I had money, then I could build it. Right. Okay. You're dead already. Like that. If you can't get it going, kind of on nothing, on magic, on air. Yeah, yeah. The if then is always a huge red flag for me. So what I'm hearing, and tell me if I'm understanding this right, is as far as that last piece in particular, there's a difference between somebody who is communicating with you at all, of course, versus not on a proactive level, but where the majority of the communication is just speculating about what happens if somebody else empowers you to do it versus somebody else on the other side of the spectrum who says, here's my track record. Here's more evidence of what I can do. I'm scrappy. I'm tenacious. I'm going to find a way. I'm resourceful. And here are some of the results that I keep getting. And now imagine if I could take funding from your source of sorts and apply it to all this. We've already got 
there's a trust factor that I will use the, the talents that you give me of sorts to good resource uh, for a little sort of biblical reference there of sorts, but don't bury the talents and I, I'm going to make something of it. I've got the traction to show you that I can do it. So pure speculation and what if versus here's evidence and now imagine what's possible from there. Is that a good distinction? I think so. And one thing I like to tell founders, if you want to be giving off the vibe, giving off the sense but it has to be real, not artificial. You have to be giving up the vibe that, hey, you're going to make this thing happen. You're going to make this business a success with or without the investor. Now you're the investor in the snare. Laura, I'm going to make this thing a success with or without you. I'd love to have you along for the ride because I think with your support, we can make this 10x You know what it could be. But it's happening. The train is already on the rails. The train has left the station. It's moving. And the investor wants to feel like, oh man, this is an opportunity. I got to jump on. Like this thing is already in motion. It has momentum. Momentum is a big thing I talk about with startups, right? This thing has momentum and it's the momentum is accelerating. I got to jump on as the investor or I'm going to miss the train, right? Yeah, yeah. Versus the person who says, if I had your money, I could get the train going. Well, you're not interesting to me, right? So it is that sort of perception. And it's sometimes a fuzzy thing. You know it when you see it. You know it when you see that this person has that hustle factor to get the momentum going Yes. versus them. Yep. It's funny. The analogy that came to my head with that is that it's kind of a fair weather friend sports analogy in that everybody wants to be part of the winning team. You know, if you have a chance to join a softball league or you have a chance to, if you're a diehard sports fan, ideally you want to move to a city that's got a sports team that has a decent winning record. You don't want to be attending games where people just constantly are losing, losing, losing. It kind of sucks the joy out of it. If you're going to join a team, you want to join a team where you know your players, your peers, your teammates are good. You don't want to join it where you're the best player on the team for the most part because I mean, unless you want that star role, unless you can single-handedly carry the team to victory, you want to join the winning team. So similarly, the investors want to join a team that's already winning. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Which makes sense when there's a lot of money riding on it. So that's where the sports analogy probably deviates. But nevertheless. It makes sense also because investors have a lot of choices. They're getting 50 startups approaching them a day. How do I filter this out and find the ones that are already winning? Even if it's a small level, right? The wins are not huge wins, but they're they're already winning. They're already showing a pattern of winning. I think that's a great metaphor, a great thing. And that's so flip that around to the entrepreneur. You want to be able to signal that. You want to be able to kind of show that, that you're already a winner. <laughs> you're already yes. winning. It might be small, but you're building on that. That's a good thing. I think this is a good jumping off point for us to give the audience an opportunity to get some wins of their own, some nice small wins, because that's a great beginning of traction. So let's head over to our listener 24-hour influence challenge. So Nathan, this is an opportunity for you to talk directly to our audience and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? I would challenge you to get out there and find two, three other entrepreneurs and proactively help them in some way. That could mean making an introduction to someone in your network that they're trying to get in front of. That could mean reviewing their pitch deck, giving them feedback on it. It could mean making other types of connections or introductions. But get out there and do this. If you could do this three times a week for three fellow entrepreneurs over a period of you know, seven weeks, for example, You've just helped out 21 people, right? You're building up 
what I call founder karma. And this sounds like kind of hippie-ish or whatever, but it's really true. You're building up your bank. You're building up your assets in your bank of founder karma. Well, now, six months later, you're going to be out raising capital or maybe raising your next round. You now have this great bank of, of positive founder karma that you can draw on to ask for intros. And it should never be like transactional. Like, I did you a favor. Now it's your time to do me a favor. No, it's more, you know, you've built up the bank of founder karma. Now you can like ask people for help because you're going to need it. Every founder needs help from other people. No one does it alone. So that's what I would say is get out there and just find out how you can help other entrepreneurs, other founders, or even just other people in your network. It'll come back to you. So where I think there's a lot of application to people who are non-founders as well. So again, if you're not in that particular role out there, it doesn't mean that this is not relevant for you. But the notion that in really everywhere in life, it does take a village. There's only so much you can do alone. There's a beautiful Swahili proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So who's in your network and what creates a network of good people who are collaborators who you can ask for support, whether it's advice or money or guidance on something or an opinion, et cetera. And it needs to be reciprocal, not transactional, but where we know we can rely on each other. We have that trust. We have that support. So even if you are in a corporate, mid-level, whatever kind of role, okay, who else could be in your network and how can you support others? Where can you make an introduction? Where can you help somebody else build a network? Where can you, you know that somebody else was trying to cobble together an idea or report or an email offer to review the draft or something along those lines, or even to be a sounding board for 10 minutes over a cup of coffee. So how can you support them to show that you're that kind of team player? Because then later on, they're either more likely to offer or to accept when you ask them in return to help you. And that's the go far part. So, and of course, if anybody got stuck on the 21 people over X number of weeks, that's not what we're suggesting. This is just the 24 hour influence challenge. Call one person. And if you realize the one was actually not so bad after all and kind of a nice conversation and led to something really nice and mutually supportive, productive, constructive, if you want later on in day two, call somebody else. But for today, the challenge is call that first person. Sound good? I like it. Help someone else out. There we go. Help somebody else out. Oh my goodness. So we have covered all sorts of information here. Nathan, we could keep going on this, but we are running out of time. So I believe you have a gift that you wanted to give our audience. Tell us, what did you want to offer? Yeah, we have a pretty nice, it's called How to Build the Ultimate Pitch Deck. And it covers some of the best pitch archetypes. And what do I mean by that? Pitch archetypes, if we think about telling your pitch, telling your story, there are about six to even 12, we have several versions of this, different story frameworks that you can use to tell your story about your business, what you're doing, things like problem solution, things like X for Y, you know, there's different like story archetypes. So if you like this, you can just contact us, info, at foundersuite.com. We'll send this. It's just a PDF. Very helpful. It's about 11 pages. Goes into ways to different frame your pitch, even some tips on presenting your pitch in a live meeting and some other stuff. So I think if you're getting going with an entrepreneurial startup or something else, it should be really helpful. And I have seen it, everybody. It is a great document that you can take a look at. So clear, so easy, and just makes you go, oh my gosh, there's six 
different ways that I could be approaching this. And I've been so stuck in my assumptions of, well, I just have to say X and then say Y and then say Z. And it's like, no, you really don't. And you're missing 42 other points of opportunity to really master what I, of course, like to call the three C's, right? That ability to command the room, connect with the audience and close the deal. And he just gave you six different routes to get there. And you didn't know that at least five of them existed. So I highly recommend that you take Nathan up on his offer. Reach out. It was info at foundersuite.com and just let him know that you heard our interview here on Speaking to Influence and you want a copy of that deck. Yes? Absolutely. Love it. So Nathan, for anybody else who wants to learn more about Founder Suite, who wants to learn more about you, who wants to learn more about all the amazing things that you're working on, how can they learn more? The websites are just simply foundersuite.com. That's F-O-U-N-D-E-R-S-U-I-T-E.com. And Funding Stack, just like it sounds, F-U-N-D-I-N-G-S-T-A-C-K.com. We'll put all that in the show notes, by the way. So in case you're driving, please don't sit there, pull out the phone and try to write this down with two thumbs and only one eyeball on the road. We'll get all that for you. Check out the show notes. Please continue. So check out the website, Foundersuite, if you're a startup, Funding Stack, if you're a VC or advisor to startups. On X, we are at Foundersuite. On LinkedIn, I'm Nathan Beckard, and I'd love to connect with you. We publish, I'll plug this a bit because we publish a lot of really good giveaways, lists of investors, lists of pitch deck templates, all kinds of good stuff on LinkedIn. So connect with me or follow me. I would love it if you mentioned that you heard about us on Dr. Laura's show. That'd be great because I get a lot of intro requests. So I'd love to connect with you if you listen to the show. Last but not least, we have a podcast that Dr. Laura has been on called How I Raised It. And I think we're about 265 episodes or so. A lot of interviews with founders, VCs, other experts like Dr. Laura on communications and things like that. So check out How I Raised It on Spotify, iTunes all your usual stuff in YouTube as well. So those are good places to learn more if you want to. I had a great time being on that show and it was just a few weeks ago. So I highly recommend whether you listen to my episode or not is not the point, but there's so many great people on that show. So much valuable insight, especially if you are running your own business and looking for investment, but even just for business insights and good conversation. So Nathan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's really fun, really fun. And to everybody else out there, thank you as always for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or your platform of choice so we can continue to help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. 
The host, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.